Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. It is such a pleasure to be here and to gather with you today as we sing together and are formed by God's Word and community. And we're going to continue in this series called The Way as we practice the way of Jesus. And our goal, my goal through this whole series has been to see a people formed in the way of Jesus because we want to continually emphasize this reality. That to follow Jesus includes so much more than thinking right things about Jesus. In fact, the first followers of Jesus were simply known as followers of the way. They weren't even called Christians. They were called Christians later on in a city called Antioch for the first time. Uh, But initially, they were called just followers of the way. They were known for living radically different lives from the radically different center of God's love for them. And so today we're going to be looking at the practice of generous justice. And my goal specifically for today is to help us to actually feel the weight of the call to be a people shaped by justice. To feel that. It's going to be uncomfortable for us. It's going to be uncomfortable for me up here. Uh, Trust me, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for you as well. I want us to feel the weight of what it means to actually be the people of God shaped by justice and for justice. I want us to learn what justice is and why it's so important. And in fact, why, uh, why God himself is a God of justice and what it looks like to be shaped by the gospel today for, as a people of justice. And so before we do that, help me to pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that you have gone before us. We thank you that you've given us enough health and enough energy to be here. We pray for those who are away and unwell during this time. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, now in my uh, frailty now, um, that you would do something great, Uh, that you would be able to use uh, someone like me uh, to speak your words, that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful for your people and help me to remember the things that will be. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said? And the church said? As most of you all know, I went to uh, New York uh, to visit family and whatnot. It's been about four and a half years since I've, since I've been there. And one of the things that I love to do, one of the things that I look forward to the most, now I love my family, don't, don't get it twisted, uh, but one of the things that I look forward to, that I long for, is just to walk in the city by myself. I don't want anyone to be with me. I want to be alone. I just want to kind of just be in my element with my AirPods on. And, and you know, I used to have to have a mace ready, but it's safe now. And so uh, just, just walking, walking, I'll, I'll lose myself in the city. I looked like such a tourist this time because I was taking photos all over the place, you know, like angering people who were walking behind me. Uh, but usually I plan to end my walks in a little neighborhood called Soho. If you've been there, you, you may have been there. You may have know what that is. But I spent a lot of my formative years in Soho. In fact, my first real job, um, uh, like on the books, uh, was in Soho. I worked in a high-end retail shop called Coach. If you know what that is, uh, then, then there you go. But uh, sell like women's handbags and, and things of that sort, uh, kind of high-end. And one of the things that I had to learn while I was working there was actually how to spot a fake. 
Like, if someone was trying to return a fake coach bag, I needed to know. This was hundreds of dollars that the company would lose. So I needed to learn how to, uh, like, what were the properties? How, how did I know what an authentic coach bag was versus a fake one that you would buy in Chinatown just across the road? And one of the things that I had to learn was, was those specific things, right? And, and this principle applies everywhere. There's a principle that if a certain thing is a certain thing, then that thing must have the properties of the thing, right? You feel me? So for something to be real, it must have the properties of that thing. And this is no less true of us. This is no less true of our faith. This is no less true of what it means to actually be a Christian. And so the question for us today, and this is going to be an uncomfortable question for us today, the question is this. What is the thing about us, about me, that needs to be real about me, that needs to be true about me, that needs to be true about us to be proven to be authentically Christian. Right? We love the idea of authenticity, particularly as a millennial, and I'm, I am a millennial, I'm Gen Y, I just scraped through, right? One of the things that we do is we distrust. We are a very distrusting generation. And being the largest generation alive today, we distrust a lot. And not for, and not, and not for no reason either. I mean, we think about the world that we live in, and we have like, our trust in government, our trust in financial institutions, our trust in the church have been eroded, and for good reason. Right? This is not unfounded. I'm not sitting here saying that we should all just blindly trust these institutions that at one point our parents did. We don't trust things. We love the idea of authenticity. And today our text is going to paint a picture of authenticity that's going to make us feel a little bit, makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. And it's surprising, it's surprising what Jesus uses as the litmus test of, a, of an authentic Christian. It's shocking to me. Learning what I've learned in the theological tradition that I've learned it in, it is shocking to me what Jesus would use to say this here is an authentic follower of Jesus. Let me paint the picture for you. Each and every single one of us will die. Surprise, right? Like, I, I know it doesn't feel that way, or maybe it does for some of us. But every single one of us has an expiration date. It's not just a milk in your fridge that has an expiration date. You too, even though we don't see it, we don't know it, we too have an expiration date. Each and every single one of us will expire. There are no exceptions to this whatsoever. And what I'm about to say, whether you believe it or not, has no bearing on the reality of it. What I'm about to say, whether we believe it or not, whether you personally are sitting here believing this or not, has no bearing on whether it will happen or not in reality. You will die, and you will face judgment. Like you, we will die. I will die, and I will one day have to stand in front of my Lord and give an account for every careless word I have ever spoken. Every word. And we can't hide behind, like, our, well, what I meant was, no, no, no. You know what you meant. And so does Jesus. Every single one of us will face judgment. Every single one of us will have to give an account. See, because we believe the lie that we are our own. That we own ourselves. That I am the captain of the ship. But this is all borrowed. All this breath that I'm giving to you, all the talent that you've been using to make money, all, all, all the relationships that you have, everything you have is a gift. 
It is borrowed to you. Like you are, your life is on loan, okay? Every single thing we have is his. And one day, the master will call us to account. And this is shocking, what he asks of us. One day, when we stand before Jesus in all of his beauty and all of his splendor and all of his ferocity, we have to give an account for our lives. Do you realize that? And it's shocking about what this text uses as a litmus test, what it uses to tell the real from the fake, the authentic from the pretenders. To use biblical language, it says these are the goats and these are the sheep. It's shocking because in our particular tradition, at least in the one that I grew up in, the one that most of us have grown up in, we would think that when we come to Jesus, he's going to give us a theology test, right? What do you believe about the atonement? Like, like, what do you think happened on the cross exactly? And if you give me the right answer, here you go. We, we often believe that if we just think the right things about God, and I have been subject to this lie, that if we simply think the right thoughts, then that is enough. But I, I want to remind you what James says. James is Jesus' half-brother. He grew up with Jesus. And so the fact that he ended up worshiping his brother at one point helps me to believe that Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was, right? And James says this, that it's good that you believe. Great. A, like, amen. A plus. But so do the demons, and they shudder. Right? That's, that's what James says about our belief. But what shocks me and what shocks our modern sensibilities is that Jesus doesn't even ask us in this text what we believe. He says, show me. You show me what you believe. So often we think belief is something that's just left in the verbal sphere, but belief is, has sinew, it has bone, it has blood, it has marrow. Belief is something. It is allegiance. It is doing something with our life. We need to reframe what faith means. If faith is simply, if belief is simply a cognitive assent that we can just tick off, then we're really going to end up on the wrong side of history. Faith has bones. It has soul. It has sinew. Faith has blood. It has muscle. Faith is not just something that's in our heads, but it is something that is seen in our decisions, in our actions, in our lives, in our practices. James, again, he says in 122, James 1, he says, but be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. I can't, listen, it cannot, I cannot be any clearer than scripture. Be doers of the word and not just hearers only deceiving yourselves. You see, it's not the doing the justice that saves us, but the doing of justice, being a people of justice, birthed by grace, that shows, in fact, that we are the people of God, that we have been saved by Christ. And if you don't believe me, let's go back to the text real quick. I want to read this again because I want us to really read. I want this to hit. I want, I want this to slap you in the face the way it did me this week. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And this isn't Jesus coming back as meek and humble and lowly with, a, you know, I don't know, like this idea that we have of Jesus, feathered hair and like this tunic. You know, that's, not, that's not the picture of Jesus that we get in Scripture now. Right? Jesus has hair white as wool. Jesus has eyes that are flaming with fire. Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth. He's not a magician. It's, it's the word, right? Uh, but there's just this ferocious 
being. And when we stand in front of him, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, see, he already came in his humility. Next time we see Jesus, it's going to be a very, very different picture. Then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place his sheep on the right and goats on the left. And I love this. I love, I love that Matthew doesn't say, and then Jesus. It says, and then, and then the king. And then the king. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked. You clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him with this like surprise. Like, hold up, hold up, Jesus. Like, we didn't see you. Like, we didn't see you naked and clothe you. We didn't, we didn't like, we didn't see you hungry and, and, and feed you. Like, what are you, like, they're, they're actually, like, I can't imagine. Like, if I'm there, I'm like, okay. I accept. But they talk back to God. They talk back to Jesus and they say, hold on. Let me just set you straight. We didn't see you hungry. We didn't see you naked. We didn't see you in prison. You weren't sick. And then he says to them, when you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. This is incredible. Because so often we have this hierarchy of loves where we say, I actually, I love God first and then I love everyone else like second or third or fourth. But precisely the way that you love God is the way that you love others. I'm going to remind you that the person that you love the least in this world, the person you can't stand, that's how much you love God. The person that we love the least in this world, that is the roof of our love truly for God. That is a righteous response. Not, not like, what do you mean? Like, what? I, I didn't know I was even doing, like, doing this to you. I believe it's in the book of Hebrews as well where it's mentioned that sometimes, and I mean, I don't know if this has ever happened to me personally or to you or if you think it's happened to you, but sometimes we even, we even show hospitality to angels unaware. Like, that's wild to think. And then the unrighteous response, right? Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to get into hell today. There's a lot more to say there. But I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord. You see, they, 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 they think they're on the right track. Jesus isn't a stranger to them. They, they're calling him Lord in the same way that in Matthew chapter five, uh, um, uh, Matthew chapter seven. Remember, Lord, Lord, hold on. Didn't we, man, like, didn't we heal? Didn't we speak? Didn't we do all these things for you? But the problem is, we didn't do it with him. We we, we often find ourselves working for Jesus, but not with him. And he will say to them. This, then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you didn't do it to one of these, the least of these, you didn't do it to me. That is a fearful text. 
and maybe you came to be encouraged, and the encouragement will come. But I want us to sit in this for just a moment. I want us to be able to hear this at this point. I want to present to you as clearly as possible that the litmus test for our faith in Jesus is how we treat others. This is always, for me, going to go back to this reality that the, the measure of the success of this church will be love. The way that we can actually show love to one another. That justice and matters of mercy matter. That the hungry matter and need nourishment. That the thirsty matter and need to be relieved. That the stranger needs community. That the naked, they matter and need protection. That the sick and the prisoner matter and need care. Jesus isn't giving us here this exhaustive list. So we, we can't just go to this and say, well, I haven't done that, I haven't done that. No, no, that's, that's not the point Jesus is giving here. This is not an exhaustive list. The point is that we have a God who is about bringing peace and shalom, this human flourishing of hope and healing, and he wants to use his church to do that. Brokenness isn't, isn't uh, um, like confined just by these categories. The poor are, are more than just the poor financially, although we should care for them as well. You, you get me. This is not an exhaustive list. There are ways that God has specifically geared us to bring his hope and his love to the world. The point is that we have a God who is on about bringing hope and healing through you. That's wild. And if you've encountered Jesus, and I mean really encountered Jesus in your heart, if you are someone who has been knocked for six by grace, then let me tell you this, you will want to more than anything else to be this. You will want to embody his grace to others. Let me just say this before moving on, that justice matters. That what we do for the poor and for the oppressed, for the downtrodden, it matters. And my vision for this church is that we would be a church that doesn't have to choose between good theology and social action. But one whose social action is shaped and fueled by the gospel. And we've been using this word justice, but what does it actually mean? If you ask Oxford, Oxford would tell you that justice simply means this, the fair treatment of people. That doesn't seem to me to have enough teeth for what I see justice looking like in Scripture. It doesn't have the umph of how the word is used in the Bible. I love the way how, uh, I love the way American philosopher Cornel West, he says this. He says, justice is what love looks like in public. Justice, this idea of justice, of equity, is love in public. We don't have to separate this, uh, we don't have to separate justice and love. They're not antithetical to one another. Uh, justice is the public embodiment of love. In order to do justice well, we must love because justice is public love. And so for the rest of today, that was all intro. You laugh. But for the rest of today, I want to do two things. I want to show us that God himself is a God of justice precisely. Not, 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 um, not in spite of him being love. Right? I, I don't want us to think that justice is something that is, is antithetical to love or at odds with love. God isn't just despite being loving. He is just 
precisely because he is loving. So I want to show us that God himself is a God of justice precisely because he is a God of love and show us that the gospel of God's free grace to us sinners is the fuel for us becoming a people of generous justice. The gospel is the key for us becoming generously just. Justice is at the very heart of God because love is what God is. And in a world where love is denied to those who are made in his image, the only proper response for us is to make all crooked things straight. And this is Scripture's witness through and through. They're not going to pop up on the screen, but I want you to hear me. Psalm 99.4 says this, The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness. Isaiah 33.5 says that the Lord, Yahweh, he is exalted for he dwells on high and he will fill Zion. And Zion is just biblical code word for God's city, right? He will fill his city with what? With justice and righteousness. Jeremiah 9.24, but let him who boasts, boast in this. That if you're going to boast, if you're going to boast in anything, right, boast in this. That he knows me. And I am the Lord who practices loyal love and justice and righteousness. For in these things I delight. One more. Psalm chapter 9. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. Like it's incredible. That God is saying about himself through the Psalms that I have established my throne for justice. For public love. For equity. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. And over and over and over and over again, hundreds of times in the Old Testament, God is described as a God who not only loves justice, but creates a people whose whole purpose is to pursue justice, to extend his presence to the world, to extend his loyal love, to extend his chesed, to extend his love and justice and mercy and righteousness, to extend his peace. You see, justice is about shalom. And there's, that's, that, that's a Hebrew word, meaning uh, usually in your Bibles, it'll be translated as peace. But it is so much more. It is this idea of human flourishing, of things being exactly what they were supposed to be. And if we think that this is simply an Old Testament dynamic that's missing from the new, let me take you to Jesus' very first sermon. This is Jesus, by the way. If you don't know him, he's the incarnation of God. We talked about this last week. He in, God incarnated himself. He put on flesh and came to us and visit, visited us in our darkness. He says this in his first sermon. As he continues the tradition of the prophets of justice of the Old Testament, he says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, Jesus would come. This is how he starts his ministry. Jesus would come to deal the blow, the decisive blow, to the animating forces that's behind all of the injustice. And because of what Jesus has done to set us free by doing so on the cross, we now get to. By the way, you don't have to be here. You don't have to follow Jesus. He invites you into this life. 
He invites you into following Him. And that means something. And He's invited us. And we have said, uh, presumably, uh, the majority of us have said yes in this room. We have said yes to following Jesus. And what does that actually mean? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that it means this. That for our sake He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Why? What's the purpose of that? Why did Jesus become sin He knew no sin, and yet He became sin for us. Why? So that we might become the what? The righteousness of God. And that word righteousness there can be translated as justice. We have become now the justice of God. Hear me. Hear me. In Christ, you have become the instrument we use. Right? Use. Plural. Collective. Use have become the instruments that mend broken things in the world. Like, this feels just like one of those like Mighty Duck movies. Like, oh, that's, that's all you got? Like, you could have chosen someone better than me. And yet, that's just, he loves to do, he loves, he loves to make the world systems. He loves to make the powers and the principalities look stupid. And I mean that in like the most technical sense. He loves to make Satan look like an idiot because he chooses us and yet he's going to accomplish his mission through us, through normal people, through forgiving one another. Like that is kingdom work. It's not not just out there, but it's it's around your dinner table as you sort your stuff out with one another with grace and with hope and with healing. God wants to use you to bring beauty into the world. God wants to use you to bring equity and justice into the world. He wants to use you to protect and to provide for the vulnerable in the world. He wants to use you to be agents of renewal and healing. I I don't know how else to say this. And one day when Jesus returns and makes all things new, we'll see that our work, your work, was not in vain. It may feel like that, but your work as you partner with God in the renewal of all things is not in vain, and you will see that one day, that because of how we acted, because of the way that we pledged our allegiance to Jesus over everything else in our lives, the way that we've responded to God's call, others came into a saving relationship with Jesus. We have a deep desire to leave this world just a little bit better than we, than we found it, don't we? Every single one of us, I think, have just, just there's something in us that we want to leave something beautiful behind. We want to leave something of a legacy, not for our sake, but we, we want to leave. This place is so broken and bruised and battered, and we have the choice to either perpetuate the chaos. We, we all, you need to understand, you have a choice to either perpetuate the chaos in the world or to become an agent of healing. When we have been saved by grace, and it's through this gospel of God's grace that we have both the vision and the fuel to be these people, but when we have been saved by grace, our call isn't just to enjoy the benefits of salvation, that I am saved, that I am secure, that I am his, that he knows me, and I, I am his and he is mine. All those things are beautiful and well, and those are, that's one of the keys to, to effective mission and, and effective uh, justice in the world, to enjoy what he's given you. But if it stops there, 
If we enjoy our salvation but, do, but fail to embody the responsibility of it, we, our witness will be hindered. Our call is to witness to the justice of God and the God of justice through our own pursuit of justice in his name and the power of his spirit. See, this is the thing. We can't, we can't relegate justice to one political side on the spectrum. We can't relegate justice to one theological side on the spectrum. Justice is naturally fixed to a heart that has been grasped by grace. I need you to hear that. You, you don't have to have it all figured out here. I'm not trying to shame you or scare you. But hear this. Hear the reality of what we're living in. That justice is naturally fixed to a heart that has been grasped by grace. Justice isn't a distraction to evangelism. We're not called to save souls for Jesus. We're called to embody God's whole love to his whole world to who is in a whole lot of trouble. And I love the way that Tim Keller puts this, he, 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 he captures this so clearly. He says, the logic is clear. If a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. If he doesn't live justly, then he may say with his lips that he's grateful for God's grace, but in his heart he is far from him. If he doesn't care about the poor, it reveals that at best... He doesn't understand the grace he's experienced, and at worst, he has not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you just. Grace makes us just. And just, justice, isn't our effort to earn grace. Because that's, so, that's how, so often the devil will trick us, our minds will trick us, our culture will trick us and say, see, if you go and do something with your faith, doesn't it feel like you're earning something here? Right? But, right? but it's, by, it's by faith. It's by grace. You, like, and we're stuck in this limbo where we feel that we know we should be doing something with our faith. And yet when we begin, there's a devil right behind us saying, well, don't you feel like you're earning something here now? And we need to get away from the fear of trying to earn our salvation. You can, listen, let me just say it definitively. You cannot earn your salvation. There is nothing that you can do that earns you salvation. But there is everything that we can do that displays our salvation. And so if you're a Christian here today, and I'm closing up soon, my question is very simple. In your heart now, is there a posture to be ready to jump at the, the chance to help those who are in need because of what God has done in you? If you follow Jesus here today, and I'm not assuming that we all do, but if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the question is very simple. That in your heart right now, is there a posture that will be ready to help those in need because of what God in Christ has done for you? And rather than that sending you into this anxious panic, let it send you to the cross. Because it is going to be much better for you to come face to face with the reality that, hey, maybe I'm going to say this. I'm going to say some, some dirty words to you all now. Maybe I'm not a Christian. It is much, much better to come to that realization, to come face to face with that horrible, like what, what could feel to you like a horrible truth today. I don't want to send you to the judgment and you realize it then. It is so much better for us 
to, to actually wrestle with what is going on in our hearts. And one of the questions that Matthew 25 has pressed on me is, when I face Jesus, what will he say? What, what, what will he see? There is grace for us now, even today, investigate our salvation and to see if we are in the Lord. And if you're listening in and you don't follow Jesus, let me invite you into this life. Invite you to be reconciled to God, that there is hope and healing in the good news that God himself has entered into our world to make us agents of renewal and healing. I got more, but we're going to finish up here, so I'm going to invite the, the band up here. And because God in Christ, listen, because God in Christ took the penalty of our sin, because He Himself has bore the wrath of God on the cross, listen, you are set free. You are set free to say yes to the invitation to become part of the solution to the problems of the world. My prayer is that you would reach out to the God who has been reaching out to you that you are loved with an inexplicable love, and his desire is to see you come home to him. And so Anchor Southwest, let's not waste the opportunities because of fear of man or, or fear of anything else or fear of losing out. Let's not waste the opportunities that we have to embody the love and the justice of God. What does it look like for us to continue to respond to God's invitations? To respond in the way that we responded to the volcanic eruptions in Tonga. To respond by giving so much. To respond uh, in ways that we did with Bass and Lucy to give so that they don't have to worry about parking or petrol as they go back and forth for three months to visit their beautiful little girl Saskia at RPA. What does it look like for us to continue to become more and more a people of justice? My prayer is that our eyes would be open, our hearts would be soft toward those in need, toward those that our society looks down upon. And let's truly continue to become a people of generous justice. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that while there is a lot to do, there is absolutely nothing to prove. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come down to us, that we don't have to go up to you. And yet, as you've incarnated yourself, as you've come down to us, as even we, we heard, even as we hear this cry, you cried. You became a child. You became vulnerable so that you would embody justice in this world and that you would call your people to yourself and that you would create a people that would embody your public love to the world. Holy Spirit, we cannot do this on our own. We cannot hope to do this on our own. And yet there is nothing that can stand in our way when we follow the call that you have placed on this church. And so we thank you and we ask that you would give us the courage, that you would give us the, 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 the wherewithal, Lord, to do what you are calling us to do. And we thank you. We love you, Jesus. And we do all this for the sake of your praise and your name. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen and amen.